This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. Can you guys hear me okay? We're good. Hey, my name's Christy, and I'm super excited to be here this morning with you all. I want to start by just telling a story. This is a story about a young family, a family of four, a mom, a dad, a little seven-year-old boy, and a five-year-old girl. They're a mixed-race family. And at, at this time in their story, they are no longer allowed to live in the country that they're, they're staying in. Their, their country is forcing them out. So they have to find a new place to live. And they travel around. They travel around Europe looking for a new, a new home, a place where they can start over and belong. And Europe didn't have any space for them. And they heard about this country called the United States, and so they thought, okay, well, we'll try there. And so they explored some options, and there was this little tiny church in Arizona that said, you know what, we'll sponsor you to come to the States and start over and create a new life for yourself. So they came, they settled in Arizona for a little while, and then they eventually moved to Los Angeles and and set up shop there. And they flourished. They grew. They grew up together. They created a life for themselves. And, you know, I have never been to that church in Arizona, but I am forever grateful for them because that family was my grandparents and that seven-year-old boy was my father. And I am the fruit of that little church's generosity. And it's so cool looking back at my family's story, and I see God's hand in it, and I see how he provided a way for us to come. And, um, and I, it's, it's pretty amazing um, that the whole entire course of my family changed because of that church's ge- generosity. And when we look at our family tree, we can see the things that shaped who we are. We see the generations that went before us that shaped uh, the choices that they made influence us today. And so today, we are going to look at the family of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are going to look at um, his story, his grandfathers. Long before there were wise men, long before there were shepherds, um, long before the angels came and sang their carols in the sky, there were generations of people who came before Jesus. And each generation played their part in the Christmas story. Each one had a Christmas cameo. And so in the genealogies of Jesus, we discover this entire group of people that God used to bring about the fulfillment of his promise of rescue to humanity through the Messiah Jesus. And these are the untold Christmas cameos. And when we look at this list, we might be a little bit surprised at who we discover. There's some names that we've looked at in the last few weeks and some that um, that we haven't yet, but we're going to take a look at his, his genealogy here in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Okay, so it's just going to continue with a bunch of names here. Some people we know, uh, we recognize like Boaz from last week and Ruth um, and then Matthew 1, verse 12, it says, After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. And this morning, we are going to land right here at this moment. We're going to look at the life of Zerubbabel. 
one of Jesus' forefathers. So it's kind of a fun name to say. Everybody say Zerubbabel. His story is kind of scattered throughout the Old Testament, so it's kind of cool to kind of collect the different pieces from all around. But Zerubbabel was born in Babylonian captivity. In 597 BC, the Jews were deported, and they were taken away in captivity into Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is a violent, traumatic moment in, in Israel's history. They were led away in chains. The, the Israelites were led away naked. They were brutalized at the hands of their oppressors. And we see a little bit of a glimpse of what they went through, the trauma that they went through in Psalm 137. It's a lamenting song, and it says this, Besides the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? And this is a moment that's a very dark, sad picture of what they're going through. And this is an example of just how we can come before God honestly with whatever darkness that we are going through. Israel was crying out to God for justice in the middle of a brutal, brutal world. And this psalm actually ends really dark. It talks about smashing their oppressors' babies against rocks. And um, that's, the, that's the trauma. That's the level of oppression they were experiencing. And, and the Bible does not condone that. That's not the heart of God at all. But this is a moment of them crying out to God for justice in a deep place, honestly bringing our emotions to God, And then we entrust ourselves to him and say, okay, God, this is unfair, but you are the perfect judge. And one day you are going to execute your perfect justice over all of humanity. And we can trust you because of that. So the Jews, they had suffered greatly. Uh, They faced cultural pressures to bow down and worship these other gods while they were living in Babylon. Um, They had been in captivity for 70 years so Zerubbabel's name, his name means the seed of Babylon, or conceived in Babylon. And he's important um, because when Zerubbabel grows up, he led the very first band of Jews, over 42,000 Jews, out of Babylonian captivity. And so he was called the Prince of Captivity. That was his nickname. So Zerubbabel was uniquely positioned. He was commissioned to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem when they returned home. And we see his commissioning here in the book of Ezra. It says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. So this is an amazing moment for Zerubbabel and his crew because you have this pagan king um, who is commissioning him to rebuild God's temple. And the first thing that Zerubbabel does when he gets home is he wants to rebuild that temple. Like, could you imagine 
what he must have been going through after being captive for 70 years. Like, remember what it was like for us coming out of lockdown? How we couldn't get, wait to get back to church, to hug each other. Um, it must have just been that much more heightened after 70 years of brutality. And, um, and so they had been pressured to worship false gods. And so they, they're coming back and they're like, we want to worship the true God. Um, but when they got home, they discovered that the temple had been completely demolished by their enemies. It was in rubble literally on the ground. Like, how discouraging must that have been? And how easy would it have been to just, like, throw in the towel and say, you know what, I quit. This is too hard. And that's exactly what the enemy wants in this situation. And, you know, there is an enemy in this world who wants us to retreat, who wants us to isolate, who wants us to live in fear and in captivity, But God calls us out to freedom. He calls us out to a better life. And this is the life that Zerubbabel wanted. He wanted to set up shop. He wanted to worship God for bringing him out of that captivity. So they get right to rebuilding this temple. But it's not long before they experience a new kind of opposition. Like, even though he was commissioned by the king, he faced opposition from the local residents. And these local residents started to just, they just tried to beat down their, their morale. They were harassing them while they're trying to build. They're just there, this constant negativity. And we see in Ezra 4, it says this, Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. And this went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia, and it lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. So this is not an easy road, having people just intentionally trying to discourage you and frighten you from doing what God called you to do. Have you ever experienced opposition in your life? Like maybe God has called you to create or build something, but you keep getting shut down by naysayers, by red tape. Or maybe God has called you to break a bad habit, but you can't seem to get out of those relationships that weaken your resolve. Or maybe God has called you to step out in faith, but you're intimidated by failure, by getting laughed at. But despite all of these struggles, God wants to encourage Zerubbabel. And I love the voice of God. And one way that you can recognize the voice of God is that his voice is always the one that's calling you to more. It's cheering you on, even through the opposition. If you're hearing a voice that's calling you to shut down, that's not the voice of God. His voice is encouraging. His voice is pushing you forward. And in the middle of opposition, God has a message for Zerubbabel. He's like, I see you. And this message that God was giving to Zerubbabel, he gives through the prophet Zechariah um, to give to Zerubbabel. And it's a message commissioning the temple. And this passage is really funny to me. Um, I love Jimmy Fallon. Any other Jimmy Fallon fans in the room? Well, this, this passage is kind of funky. It like reminds me of this game Jimmy Fallon plays called Box of Lies. <laughs> where, where you have two people sitting side by side and one person has a box and they can see what's inside of it and they're trying to describe it to the person sitting next to them and it's usually something really weird and strange like gnome statues doing yoga or something like that. And, um, 
And so, and then this person has to decide, are they lying or not? So this, is, this passage kind of reminds me of that. It's one of those mysterious prophecies. It's a little bit hard to understand, and it gets a little weird. But we can get a little weird this morning, okay? <laughs> it's in Zechariah uh, chapter 4, and it says, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me, as though I had been asleep. What do you see now? he asked. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Don't you know? (laughs) The angel asked, a.k.a. like, duh, isn't it obvious? Don't you know? And he's like, no, my Lord. (laughs) I replied, the things that are obvious from God's perspective are sometimes so mysterious to us. And he has this crystal clear picture. And if we could see with spiritual eyes, I think we would begin to understand. But one of the things God also says is that his ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so it shouldn't always surprise us when we don't understand everything that he's up to. And the good news is that we don't have to understand God to know that he's working for our good. We just need to trust that he's good, that he's for us, and step into what he has for us. Okay, so this is the important part. Uh, Verse 6, then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, a.k.a. let me tell you the obvious. He's talking about rebuilding the temple. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So God is giving Zerubbabel the green light here. He is empowering Zerubbabel, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of any opposition that comes against you. And I guess what I want you to know about this story is that Zerubbabel's story was actually recorded for you and I today so that we could see that God was faithful to Zerubbabel and God is also faithful to you and I. Zerubbabel is not the only one that God made promises to. The promises that God made to Zerubbabel are very similar to the promises that God has made to you and I today. And we're going to compare some of these similarities between Zerubbabel's story and our story. And the first similarity that we see is that God still frees us. God still frees us. Just like God led Zerubbabel out of captivity, God wants to lead you out of captivity. Your old life that was shaped by things, that was shaped by feelings, is set free. And your new life, who is shaped by a God that loves you and wants only what's best for you, 
is here. And what is captivity? Because, you know, you might be thinking, like, I'm not in captivity. I'm free. This is, like, America, after all. Um, But this is what captivity felt like for the Israelites. Besides the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. What does your soul weep over today? What are the destructive habits that hold power over you today? What are the things that no matter how hard you try, they seem to always be holding you back? That's captivity. And just like God led Zerubbabel out of captivity, Jesus has come to lead us out of captivity, out of the power of sin and death, and lead you into a new life. And that's why Jesus says, if you abide in my words, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right, so the second thing that we see in Zerubbabel's story is this, that God still encourages us. He still wants to encourage you. And just like God spoke encouragement into Zerubbabel's story, he wants to speak life and encouragement into your circumstances today. I love what God says to Zerubbabel. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. That's an amazing encouragement. What is God speaking over your life today? He's calling you to more. Take that first step, no matter how small it seems. You know, just like my family moving to Arizona to start over, it started so small, you know? But we follow his voice, even though it feels impossible. God says it is possible. And God is speaking life and hope over you today. And so lean into what he's saying. You know, allow his encouragement to go deep into your soul. Quiet the voice of the enemy that would tell you otherwise. The next thing we see is that God still empowers us. God still empowers us. And just like God promised his spirit would empower Zerubbabel, God has promised to empower you to accomplish his purposes in and through your life. Remember what he said to Zerubbabel? He said, it's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the Christmas story. This is it. That God sent Jesus to rescue us from captivity and empower us to live life to the fullest. In Galatians, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So this means that because of Jesus, you and I are led in on the promises of God. We're given the Holy Spirit who will actually come and live inside of us and empower us to do the things that we could never accomplish on our own. And in the same way that God called Zerubbabel to build the temple, God is calling you to build your life on God, to rebuild the foundation on the one who is faithful, who is strong, who when the wind and the rains come, you will still remain on the other side. 
this is not something that we have to build on our own because, like, honestly, we could never do it, even if we tried. This is something that is only built through the Holy Spirit empowering you. And maybe you've tried to do these things on your own, to kick that bad habit, to stop these dysfunctional patterns. And maybe it's time to invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in your heart. Not just change bad behavior. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your attitude, creating a whole new person. And this is a promise that nothing is going to stand in the way of what God wants to do and create in and through you. I love how Colossians 3 puts it. It says this, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like it, whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. And it's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. Let me just say, God's not mad at you. It's, this is an anger like a father who is watching his child get up by the school bully, okay? Watching his child get torn apart by the things that are destroying him. But it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You are done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. And now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are obsolete. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God's picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. This is the life that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live. And walking with Jesus transforms us to be like this, to be like Jesus. You know, it's not always easy, but it is always worth it. And the last thing that we see here is that God still moves mountains. Amen. Just like God removed the mountains uh, in Zerubbabel's way. God will move mountains in your life as well because God is calling you to build his kingdom on earth and it is a big job. But I want you to be encouraged today because even though it's a really big calling, Zerubbabel started small. He was scared. He was intimidated by the naysayers. But you know what? He did it anyways. And God moved the mountains in his life. And we see this moment of celebration Um, of God moving the mountains in Ezra. It says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang the song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because of the foundation 
of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other worship leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. So this is such a beautiful moment for this church, and it's a beautiful model for us today because God moves the mountains in our lives And this is why we can worship God at any point in the process. We can worship God at the beginning for what he will do. We can worship God in the middle for what he's doing. And we can worship God at the end of the process for what he has done. And I just pray that we are a worshiping church here at New Life, that we worship with our entire lives, and that you feel free that when you walk in these doors that you can come, that you can sing, that you can cry, that you can lift your hands to God, fall on your knees, whatever you need to do to get strength for the journey, to keep your eyes on Jesus in the process. Because there's going to be things that God's calling you to do that you could never do on your own. It's only through the power of his Holy Spirit these things can be done. And so God called Zerubbabel to build the temple, and he used Zerubbabel's hands but they were powered by his spirit. And it's the same exact way with you and I. When we lived in Canada, we would um, take the girls every year to go cut down a Christmas tree. Sometimes it was in the forest. Sometimes it was in a big farm. Um, But it was super fun and cold. (laughs) But we would take them out, and we'd let them run through the lot, and they could pick out whatever they wanted. And so we'd be there for a little while. We'd decide on a tree together. And then um, once it was time to get the tree, Joel would go to the car and get a big saw and and chop it down. And this is like, some days we did this, it was like minus 20 degrees, right? So this is cold work, right? So Joel would chop this tree down. He'd take it to the front of the farm. We'd pay for it. He'd load it on top of the car. We'd drive all the way home. unload it from the car, put it in that little stand, you know, fill it with water and put all the lights around it. And then he called the girls. They'd be off in their room playing, and he called the girls, girls, time to come down and decorate the tree. And you know what their response was? Dad, why are you making us do all the work? (laughs) This is what we do with God, right? God... Why are you making me do all the work? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, this isn't going to fly. So I explained it to them. They were little. They're not, they wouldn't do that now. But they, <laughs> or at least I don't think. But once they realized everything that Joel did for them, they were so thankful. And they thanks, Dad. This is amazing. And that's how it is in your life. God is doing the heavy lifting for you. All we have to do is step into it. So what is that small thing in your hand today that God is giving you to do? What is that thing that he's calling you to build through the power of his spirit? Because this is a wonderful day to see the work begin. Don't be intimidated because it's small. Uh, Don't be intimidated by the possibility of failure. Because God is with you. And this Christmas cameo of Zerubbabel reminds us all of these important things. Because this is what Christmas is all about. That God sent his son Jesus to come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
He comes and he rescues us from the power of sin and death. And only Jesus can give us the life that we long for. And he is the ultimate gift this year and every year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, your son, who comes down and is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that we are not alone in this world, that Jesus, you have come close, that you walk with us, that you entered humanity. And we are so grateful, God, that um, you have provided a way of rescue for humanity, a salvation plan for this broken world that you love so much. And so, Jesus, we invite you into our story today, and we want to say yes to whatever you have for us. And so we surrender to you today, and we are thankful to you today for what you've done for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.